This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dean Amal Andraos. Thanks for listening. I'm Amalyn Ung, a second year MSCCCP student at Columbia GSAP. I'm speaking with Adrian LaHood, Dean of the School of Architecture at the Royal College of Art London, in advance of his lecture at the school on February 27th, 2019. He is also the inaugural curator of the Sharjah Architecture Triennial to be held in November 2019. The lecture he will be giving at GSAP, Rights of Future Generations, will touch on themes that are part of the upcoming triennial. Thanks for speaking with me today. It's a pleasure to be here. I thought we might start with a broader framework of curation and architecture, working towards a more specific conversation about the triennial, and then zoom back out uh, and talk about more future-oriented questions. Does that sound good to you? Perfect. Great. So how would you situate your definition of exhibition practice and how may this differ from dominant models of exhibition making um, that operate in the UAE or in London or in architecture history? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, first of all, I'm, I'm not a curator. That's important to say. And I probably don't, I don't have an exhaustive knowledge of the history of architecture exhibitions. So that's, that's another important thing to say at the beginning. But as part of the Sharjah Architecture Triennial, I have spent quite some time trying to unpack the histories of exhibition making, right. um, not just in architecture, but also in the visual arts. So one of the things that we've spent quite some time looking at is the incorporation of what you would call a kind of post-colonial critique within exhibition making. That's something that's been far more common in the visual arts. In fact, probably within the field of architecture, you would say that's something that hasn't quite happened yet. Right. So dealing with questions of archive and... Yeah, exactly. So dealing with questions of archive on the one hand, trying to confront actually the very practical challenges that you face trying to do a research-based exhibition um, because right. this is a research-based exhibition in a condition in which there is a real lack of archives, in which there's been a, like, a systematic destruction and relocation of archives over decades from you know, the, the period of decolonization onwards. I'll speak a little bit about that tonight. Um, and that has really practical consequences. It means that if you're interested in the built environment in in the Arabic-speaking world, oftentimes you end up doing your research in archives in London and New York. Right, and then that's the kind of modes of knowledge production that get exactly. perpetuated. Or, for example, you also find that the kinds of things that are left are very dominant narratives. So, so say that the, the story of the state, the perspective of large-scale events and a kind of performative politics of large-scale events. Um, so there is a there is a a really significant disadvantage that the countries that were former colonies or outposts of empire face with respect to their own histories. Right. Great. So diving straight into the Sharjah Architecture Triennial to be held this November, where do you position the radical framing of rights amid other definitions of rights, like in international law or humanitarian discourse? Yeah. So rights of future generations is something that is first referred to um, in the immediate aftermath of, of World War II. In fact, it's part of the UN Charter. Um, and initially, I think it really just stands in for the idea that rights are supposed to be things that will continue in perpetuity. In the 1970s, though, there is a mutation in the concept of rights. In this mutation, it emerges in response to a recognition of environmental de destruction and environmental degradation. So Rights of Future Generations starts to track, um, in a way, a kind of growing environmental awareness, you could say. And really, it means 
um, something that seems relatively straightforward but has posed all kinds of practical and conceptual difficulties for the law. Um, simply what it means is that future generations might be rights bearers in the present. Yeah? Now that poses two problems. The first problem is the problem of definition, so how you define a future generation. Right, that's huge, I mean. That's, which is quite difficult, um, right. but also really interesting. And the second problem is the problem of representation. So of course, who will represent that generation in the present? Who will speak on their behalf? Right, that actually goes straight into a question that's kind of close to my heart. I'm speaking from, you know, the colonial context of Australia, where I'm from, uh, where stolen generations is a phrase for forced removals of First Nations peoples. And so how do we contend with or use rights language, especially when it's not ours? And so I'm thinking of Spivak's Kenneth Subaltern speak, uh, rights on behalf of others. That's a really difficult question, but I'm really glad that you've raised it. And actually, I'll mention very, very briefly the stolen generations tonight when I present. And, and maybe the first thing to say is that what it points to is the fact that the intergenerational relationship, you know, so reproduction, right. the idea of blood and the idea of race, has always been subject to a kind of conflict, to an attack. So, for example, um, anti-miscegenation laws forced removal or adoption of children, exactly. you know, the entire stolen generation question in Australia. The, the, the idea that you can breed out skin colour or, 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 let's say, racial characteristics, you know, which is yeah. extremely violent. The second part of the question, which is on um, rights, let's say your question is pointing to something that has been recognised in a lot of rights discourse, which is the idea of universality and the problems of like, the universality of rights. And I think here I also take, not being a human rights scholar, um, a, a quite practical, almost pragmatic um, perspective on it, which is to say that I think the question of rights, the claim of rights, can be taken up and mobilised in so many different contexts. Yeah? Tom Keenan, I don't know if you know Tom's yeah, work at all. Yeah, read a few of his essays. Tom has this really beautiful way of talking about the fact that rights can become kind of contagious, that is to say, they almost exceed the moment of their articulation and can be taken up by other people. And of course, there's, there's no more well-known historical example than the Haitian Revolution. No, that's, that's really great and like super pressing, again, conversations to have. Um, and I'm really glad you're speaking on, on that tonight. So I guess for those who, this is maybe on Keenan, a more media technical question, mm. for those who may not be able to travel to Sharjah this November, ideas presented and generated at the Triennial will circulate primarily through the global circuits of images. So how would the triennial attend to or direct the fluxes of information and digital media artifacts? Yeah. What is the post-triennial image? I mean, they're very large questions too, but... Yeah, they're really great questions. And, you know, like, they're, they're exactly the things that we've been spending all of our time thinking about. So, for example, one of the challenges... I mean, every curator thinks about legacy in some way, right? That's always somehow supposed to be an important part of contemporary exhibition making. So, of course. So we're thinking about legacy in all kinds of different ways, I guess... We, we have this really quite broad ambition for what we want to do with the exhibition, but we know the exhibition is just a vehicle to set certain processes in motion. Yeah? So we also don't understand the, the, the exhibition as the beginning or the end point of these projects. Yeah? So I'll, I'll, I can say a little bit more about what those projects are later. In terms of, let's say, how, how knowledge of the exhibition circulates, yeah? this yep. is also such an important question because, of course... We know that the structures of circulation, of dissemination, the, of, of magazines, of pamphlets, of journals, of websites, etc., um, actually still move through old 
channels of colonial power. So if you want to ship a journal from South Africa to Nigeria, it probably passes through Milan or through Paris or through London. Right? So right. That's, that's one thing. So the second thing is that, so how do you construct alternative structures of circulation yeah? um, and, and of dissemination? The other thing is simply the hegemony of the English language. Yeah? Um, and so if, if there is an ambition to try to extend beyond um, those existing structures of power and the way and the and the dominance of English, then you have a lot of work to do. And in a way, you can't just rely on the existing structures of um, dissemination and value production within architecture. So that that becomes a really challenging thing because because it bears upon everything from who publishes it, how distribution functions, how you do things like public relations or develop a oh, communication strategy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I could talk to you about it for ages. Oh wow! So it's really. Um starting from scratch in a lot of areas or, or rethinking at least epistemologies of... Yeah, of. yeah. I wouldn't say starting from scratch because those things already exist, but, but let's say trying to do the work of plugging into alternative circuits and where they don't exist to try to, you know, build new ones. Right. Know that, that's a better way of putting it. In terms of legacy, um, so one of the key components of the triennial is something called a working group which is a collection of academics from various kinds of backgrounds and with different experiences, activists, artists, writers, etc., who are going to convene and, with a series of working sessions, develop a charter on rights of future generations, and that will be presented during the triennial as a kind of, um, in the spirit of the Russell Tribunals, as a kind of you know, legal political intervention, and hopefully as a way of also collecting some of the various sites of social struggle that are, that are presented through the exhibition and giving them an opportunity to, to register in a different kind of way. Right, that's really great insight. I mean, coming back to environment, I was kind of really thinking, and it's always at the forefront of the news, uh, geopolitics, anthropogenic, climate change, and they're often broadcast as separate phenomena. And I was wondering mm. how we might be able to think those two together. Yeah, I mean, in, in a way, that is the entire aim of the triennial, is to do the following, is to actually say that, that climate change is what... It's the colonization of a single perspective on what it means to relate to other beings, yeah? And that perspective is an extractive one. Yeah. So the question is how you decolonize that extractive perspective, yeah? how other kinds of modes of existence might be allowed to, to reverberate and to register. And I think ultimately, if climate change is about anything, it's really about that. Yeah, no, that's great. And that, that speaks to, I mean, your work on scale and, uh, you know, from on one hand, the scale of the migrant body, on the other hand, the planet. So... I think that's that's really a, a great framework to start thinking relationally yeah. um, in your work. Exactly. Uh, so thoughts on the biennial slash triennial format? It's mm-hmm. it's quite a kind of um, buzzword mm. these days, and I was wondering what kind of knowledge it produces today. It's not it's not quite the fairs or expos of yesteryear, which have mm. their own sets of kind of mm. uh, issues and political problems. And what does the three year window afford Charger? That's a good question. Well, I didn't have three years to prepare, though, which I did. <laughs> I've had a year and a half. But um, look, I, I think the large-scale architectural exhibition is, is still largely kind of 19th century format, especially exhibitions like Venice, because of the way they're framed in terms of national pavilions um, on one hand. But also, and I think this is something I'll talk about tonight, um, the way that they've dealt with what you would say like non-Western, non-North American or or European um, perspectives, which are kind of relegated to the regions, the margins. Exactly. And so I think that that's a really fundamental challenge in the large-scale exhibition. 
And you're right, there is an explosion of them this year. And in the next year and a half, I think by my last count, there's like 12 or 13 taking place. Oh, wow. But, but you know, don't forget the first major international exhibition of architecture, like the first Venice um, Biennial in Architecture was 1980. So it's a really recent history. So we're still in a phase of immaturity, I think, <laughs> with respect to the architectural exhibition. Although as a CCCP student, I'm sure you're already aware of that. <laughs> And, and so I guess finally, just to wrap up on what's been a really great conversation, uh, seeing as you direct a School of Architecture and you're presenting tonight mm. in one and the triennial will be headquartered in one or at least mm. a school, I wanted to kind of end on education. Mm. How do you see the kind of radical ambition of the triennial rights to future generations influencing the conventions of architectural education mm. and what kinds of academic boundaries do you hope it might dismantle? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I, I think... Like architectural education has one goal, yeah, and that is to find ways of realigning the political economy of architecture with sites of social experimentation. Yeah. Right. And how do you do that? I mean, it's a, it's a very, very complex question. I think we're, we're trying to do it in the Royal College of Art in a number of different kinds of ways, and I think that those, those ambitions, let's say setting up research projects on architecture and social movements, um, looking at issues around climate justice or intergenerational cities... Um, or institutional forms and practices, to name the four key research themes in the school, align very much with that goal. And in fact, you could see each one of those research themes as an attempt to unpack specific parts of what I see are the main problems that prevent architectural education from, um, from, from doing that kind of work, from, from fulfilling that goal. Right. No, that's super interesting. And on a final note, do you have any notes for students and researchers on what kinds of new metrics can and should be developed for architecture when we're talking about scale mm. in an era where you know inside outside subject object mm. local foreign nature culture they're mm. all kind of very unhelpful binaries now yeah. and potentially problematic yeah it's a really good question i mean i look i think it's difficult i think what you said before is the answer yeah which is that um what did I say before? <laughs> <laughs> which is that, the answer's in the question. Which is that relations like pre-exist the terms that are being related, right? So if you can think relationally, then right. I think maybe that's an answer. I think I drew that answer from you. But <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for speaking with us. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you. This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.